This is the Voice Podcast Network. Welcome back to our episode of Turf and Burn with your co-hosts Caroline and Dylan. This is episode seven, and today we're going to be kicking off our episode, diving right in into the NHL playoffs, which have featured some major, major upsets, and Dylan and I are very excited to talk about it, and we wanted to start off fresh with the Florida Panthers beating the record-setting Boston Bruins in seven games this past Sunday. April 30th. We're recording on May 1st, Monday. This episode will be out Tuesday, May 2nd, one day earlier than normal. But I want to hear your thoughts on this, Dylan, because Bruins were the heavy, heavy favorite. I think I read that 50% of NHL bettors had bet on the Bruins. Almost, I I don't know if they were saying winning the Stanley Cup. It was at least the East. Yeah, at least winning the Eastern Conference. And Bruins were, in fact, up 3-1 in this series. But so many factors, so many mistakes led to Panthers winning three straight and taking it in overtime in Game 7. We later learned that Patrice Bergeron played through a herniated disc, which we talked about last episode, where he kind of tweaked, got an injury from the last game in Montreal. And we there's some questions there in terms of, is this his last NHL game played? And then also we have Brandon Montour tying the game. Panthers were down 2-3 with 59 seconds left in regulation in the third period, and Carter Verhage wins it in overtime. So Panthers are advancing. What are your thoughts, Dylan? I think what this basically tells us, and you're the one that always teases me saying it's one game out of 162 in baseball. I think what this told us is that the NHL regular season means nothing. I've been saying this. And that literally the number one seed, the best franchise inarguably the history of the NHL season that would just happen. All of that was for nothing in that I believe in quickly going through the standings and the schedules right now, they hadn't had a a three-game losing streak all season long. They had one, and then they had, this is their second, second. and when it counts the most, they're losing. And it basically goes to show that the NHL playoffs, all you need to do is get hot. It doesn't matter if you're a one seed, you're a seven seed, you're the team that's been dominating the entire season, or you're the team that literally had to play that last game of the regular season in order to actually get in. As for the Panthers, I don't think, and we can have your opinion on this in a second, is it more that the Bruins choked this away, or is it the Panthers played out of their minds in games 5-7? through Because I personally think, yes, the Bruins weren't at their top tier and what they're usually at, but it's not like they were awful these last three games. I'm pretty sure it's just like the Panthers entering this series, we're playing with house money, Literally, Vegas was saying that it's house money at this point. They're not <laughs> yeah. going to win this series. So they said down 3-1. Why not us? They went to Boston. They won game five. They won game six at home. And that's when I think you got all of a sudden the, oh, shoot, this might actually happen. Once they won game six, and then once you get to a game seven in any given sport, it's like, okay, anyone can win a game seven. It's win or go home. And obviously the late goal, and all of a sudden the Panthers are making their way all the way and past the Bruins. Your thoughts on the series? My thoughts are is the Panthers did play to a much tougher level than we've seen them play in the regular season. And I think this is their best playoff performance in entire Panthers franchise history. I mean, mm-hmm. last year was the first year that they've even made it out of the first round. And this year they're like following, they're getting a historical like NHL franchise setting or NHL record setting mm-hmm. um, team. They're beating them. But I do think they played gritty. I think they played hard. I think they forced Boston to make a lot of mistakes. But there were some major, major Boston, very uncharacteristically Boston mistakes that happened. Mm -hmm. Number one, there were some very questionable coaching moves by Jim Montgomery. For example, some of his line combinations, especially in Game 5 when Patrice Bergeron returns to the lineup after, you know, recovering, not really recovering from his herniated disc, but also his sickness, was very interesting. I don't understand why he didn't just return to his normal regular season lines, why he was doing the like line blender where you have fam- guys who are not as familiar with each other playing on different line combos and taking out guys who had chemistry and had familiarity. Um, and also, he removed like Matt Grizzlick out of the lineup and replaced him with Connor Clifton, who had a 
massive, massive, major, horrible turnover uh, that proved disastrous in Game 6, which led directly to one of Florida's goals. And I thought Grizzlick had been playing well. So there were just some really interesting coaching decisions there, which I don't know if it was due to Jim Montgomery's maybe playoff inexperience, but I think he got outcoached by Paul Maurice, of all people, who has a 4-0 record now in Game 7s, which is very unprecedented. Second of all, Boston had way too many turnovers. They were very sloppy defensively, which is so, again, uncharacteristic of Boston. We saw... I think it was in game in seven games they allowed eight goals within five seconds of a five on five turnover, and no other team in the playoffs have given up more than four goals in that scenario. And there's a couple of turnovers that really stand out. For example, the most the biggest one I can think of is Linus Olmark making a costly, costly goaltender mistake where he tried to play the puck, turns it over to the Panthers in overtime of Game 5, and then, of course, Matthew Kachuk just puts it away into the net, keeps the season alive, and then afterwards, the viral video in the Panthers' locker room where where he's saying, we're going to be back all the way to Game 7, we're not done, our season's not done, let's go, boys, and what do you know, they get it done. And there's just so many other turnovers, and they just weren't able to contain key players on the Panthers. For example, I mentioned Matthew Kachuk just now. Um, Also, a lot of the second line with um, Sam Bennett, who has historically been a playoff performer for both the Panthers and the Flames, and Carter Verhage, who ended up having the series winner um, goal in overtime of Game 7. And there were just a lot, a lot of mistakes that... I just, I'm like, I don't understand where the goaltending went. I don't understand where the dominance went from Boston. And I don't understand where the leadership went because this is a playoff-tested, playoff-familiar team that always makes it past the first round, has been making it past the second round, has that playoff experience and the veteran presence. So this was so uncharacteristic for Boston but very happy for the Panthers. I think this could be the type of scenario where, and two things I want to mention. The first is that it's the type of thing that Boston was not tested at all this year. You could yeah. argue that, oh, towards the end of the year, they won to set that win record, but there's a massive difference between playing to win every night because you need it in order to make the playoffs, in order to win your division, versus you're just trying to set the all-time win record and that there was no adversity that they dealt with all season at all. Yeah. Like, this is a team that from start to finish – was the best in the league without any question, without any doubt. They were just playing their hockey, and they were just like, all right, let's get to the postseason, then we'll see what happens. And then you get up 3-1, to one, and you're basically thinking, series is over, we're done, no chance we lose all three games. We've been so good this year, it's only happened once all year where we lost three games. No chance it happens here in the playoffs. And the Mets are now losing 8-5. to five. Um, But I don't think a team like that thought that they could lose three games in a row. So you almost put the pedal, or you, what's the phrase? You take your foot off the pedal, and as a result, things happen. They lose game five, no worries. We're going to go on the road. We'll win game six, and it's over. You lose game six, and now as you're saying, you don't understand why the managerial changes, why the coaches' changes were happening. I think it's a scenario where the coach hadn't dealt with adversity all year, so he felt he had to do something and just change it up in some capacity. Change the lines, change the minutes, change something to try to change things and switch things up, and it just did not work in any capacity. The second thing I wanted to mention, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this. Do you want to mention the text that you sent to me at 9.37 before overtime began last night? I do. I want to say my NHL predictions have been spot on for the ones that mattered. I would like to go back to our previous episodes where I said I was a doubter of the Bruins, verbatim. I said... I don't believe in the Boston Bruins. I said I could see them making it out of the first round, but I really don't see them making it far. I also had some – I questioned how they were going to do, especially because we've seen presidents, trophy winners not make it, and I specifically cited the Tampa Bay Lightning when they tied the NHL record with, I believe it was 62 or 60 wins, and, they, and then they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2018-2019. And – on Sunday night, <laughs> I texted Dylan. I'm just going to read directly from yeah, just... our text messages because I would just like to say that I called Carter Verhage scoring the overtime goal. So, 
Here's the timeline. At 9.36, I text Dylan and I go, who do you think scores the OT goal? Then I say, I'm going to go either Matthew Kachuk or Carter Verhage. Sergey Bobrovsky, please pull the Panthers through this OT, I believe. Dylan, at 9.37, goes, Patrice Bergeron or Trent Frederick? One obvious and one random. So he's going the Boston route. Of course. And then... I go Panthers all the way, underdogs. Are we just forever. rubbing in my face at this point? I think that I'm, I just can't predict things <laughs> to save my life. Yep, nine fifty 950 and nine fifty one. No way! How did I just predict Carter Verhage? I am so impressed. I just knew. No, I'm kidding. But that's what I'm saying. Wow, I'm just so impressed with the Panthers taking the Panthers as the underdog. Let's go. I would just like to say that I in fact made that OT prediction, and Carter Verhage is just killer in these games. He knows. I mean, here's the thing. We were talking about veteran presence. He was part of that Lightning 2020 championship run. He's been crucial in these Panthers wins in and these Panthers comebacks. I thought it was either going to be Kachuk or Verhage, and I called it. In my defense, I didn't know Patrice Bergeron was playing in a herniated disc in his neck when I made that prediction. You so. also predicted Trent Frederick, who is a fourth-liner enforcer on the Bruins, which is fair, but, you know, that's pretty... If that had happened, you would... It probably... The, like, money line would have been, like, plus <laughs> 11,000 or so, maybe more. I don't know. I'm like, yeah. But I'm excited to see how the Panthers go from here because that locker room rallied. And to be honest, this is a different Panthers team than what we've seen in years past. We had the big trade with Matthew Kachuk coming from Calgary to the Panthers this past offseason, sending out Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weaker. And to be honest, we had a lot of, like I was mentioning, the Panthers' second line was what really dominated. We didn't get a ton from Barkov. He finally scored in, I believe, game six um and we didn't get a ton from the rest of the panthers but they had key players key moments step up and the games where they won they won in close fashion and i would say hockey is a game of inches those turnovers very costly panthers capitalized on bruins mistakes and that's what matters in in the playoffs one hit one turnover one penalty that's all that takes for you to win a series and you mentioned this is a different panthers team let's go to the team they're going to be facing off against this week and this is a different maple leafs team than one that we've seen in the literally the last 19 years they finally got over their first round playoff drought defeating the lightning in six games this weekend feels like forever ago you just told me that was actually literally 48 hours ago that that series ended but your thoughts on the curse finally being broken they were the longest first round playoff drought in all four major sports lasting 19 years John Tavares, old friend of mine of the Islanders, finally got the game-winning goal. Your thoughts on the Maple Leafs advancing, and I assume you're picking the Panthers to win this series, but... Yeah, well, very, very happy for the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fan bases. I think if they hadn't made it past the first round this year, it would have been, like, dumpster fire in front office. Like, that entire core of Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares... William Nylander, they all would have been gone. Morgan Riley, like, you name it, fire sale. Um, And they beat the, you know, Stanley Cup champions for two years in a row and also final appearance, um, Tampa Bay Lightning. And to be honest, here's the thing. Very happy for the Leafs. They got the monkey off their backs. So proud of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could... you're gearing up for a negative right now. No. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say I could see the Lightning coming right back next season and making yeah. a deep, deep run. They were dealing with a lot, a lot of injuries. This playoffs, which is never an excuse, but I think there was one game where they were fully playing with 4D. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Yeah. No. Three, four. Yeah, 4D. Normally there's six. Yeah. <laughs> and they were playing four. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So there were just so many instances where – I'm glad the Leafs closed it out in Game 6 because I think if the Lightning had pushed it to Game 7, they would have won. Um, but I do see the Leafs rallying around this. I It was interesting to me that Ilya Samsonov, the Leafs' goaltender, seemed to outduel Andre Vasilevsky, who's been key to the Lightning's playoff runs. Like, I think his stat is in, I don't know, like especially last um, season in 
closeout games. He had like a so many shutouts. He had like a shutout streak going in closeout games in the playoffs. And normally he's been so key to keeping the lightning within it. And there were just some, again, very uncharacteristic blown leads for the lightning. I believe it was games five where or maybe game four where the lightning blew a 4-1 lead um to the Leafs and the Leafs win it I believe that was game three actually um game yeah either game three or game four Mm -hmm. but I'm very happy for the Leafs and looking at the future matchup of Panthers versus Leafs I'm yeah I'm I think realistically Leafs win but in my heart I have Panthers because love an underdog (laughs) <laughs> They've been fighting all season just to get into the playoffs, and I think that momentum of beating the Bruins really rolls them over. I'll be the contrarian just because we're going to go eat to the four matchups. I'll pick whoever you don't pick and try to defend that decision. <laughs> okay. um, I think that they've now won their first playoff series in 19 years, so why not keep the momentum? Let's win yeah. our second playoff series in a row. And who knows if this is what's going to lead them all over to the Eastern Conference finals who knows if it's finally time that they wake up and do that for the first time in our lifetime but we shall see yeah I will say that's why I went head pick was Leafs because I do think the moment they were getting off over this hump I think they're going to the finals Mm -hmm. like I know I picked Tampa to go to the finals maybe it's the winner of (laughs) it's the winner of Leafs Tampa so I guess in this case Leafs but I really hope the Panthers win I will say for example in past Avs won Stanley Cup last year after finally getting over their second round hump. Washington Capitals finally won the Stanley Cup when they were able to get over that second round hump. They Leafs got over their first round hump. Maybe this is what it takes. Um, but moving on to more unprecedented NHL playoffs. Seattle Kraken beating the Colorado Avalanche in seven games. This is the first time a franchise and NHL an NHL franchise has um, earned its first ever series win against a reigning Stanley Cup champion and we talked about how going into this series Kraken have nothing to lose mm-hmm. and this is great for their fan base but to be honest there's been some questions in the sense that a lot of people have been thinking that the NHL and the league have been rigging it so that the Kraken were going to beat the abs what are your thoughts Dylan on this win well, I think when we entered the series, and you can rewind the tapes to a week ago, we said it's a cute little story, and there's no shot the series goes beyond five games. I'm pretty sure we both said abs in five. Maybe one of us, I forget, might have been me. I'll, I'll raise my hand if it was. Said abs in four, and that there's no shot. This is even like a series. Um, turns out that was not the case. As you just mentioned, the first NHL franchise. Hold on. Series I said win. Kraken could give it to the Avs a little bit, but I still think I, I think, took abs. And I think you said abs in five, five. maybe six, yeah. but... No, this is a definite shocker. Nobody really expected this. I know, as you yeah. just mentioned, is the NHL rigged? Is the NFL rigged? Is Major League Baseball rigged? That's a question. I forget what it I think it was the Panthers game where all of a sudden it showed, like, goal. And then, like, there obviously wasn't a goal. And then 20 yeah. seconds later, the game-time goal did indeed happen. So it was like, did they hit the wrong button? And then yeah. all of a sudden it happened. So do I think the NHL is rigged? No. I think it would be really hard for them to do that. But... Definitely interesting that all of a sudden the expansion franchise wins their first NHL playoff series against literally probably besides Boston, the favorite to go all the way. Does this turn into a Las Vegas run and then all of a sudden the expansion franchise makes it all the way to the finals? We'll see. I wouldn't bet on it, but... Well, maybe you should bet on it because I'm sure (laughs) if you took it, you'd get a lot of money if that happened. Dylan is looking up the betting line numbers now. I will say, here's the reason why I said maybe it's rigged. I think of all the like sports leagues, it's so hard to rig the NHL because it's so fast-paced. You're not running. You're literally on ice gliding. So the speed at which things are happening goes much faster. And like a lot of things, for example, like steroid use wouldn't really help the NHL because it's based on speed and agility. And it's really hard to, I would say, rig NHL games. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because Andrew Cogliano suffered a neck fracture from Jordan Eberle's hit from behind in game six, where Jordan Eberle hit him really high um, and pushed his neck and skull straight into the boards. And NHL player safety did nothing. They didn't even find Jordan Eberle. 
There was no suspension. And I would argue that this might even be worse um, than Kale McCarr's hit on Jared McCann. Same series in game four where he kind of hit him. Well, first of all, Jared McCann had the puck and Kale McCarr ended up hitting him into the glass. But it wasn't the boards and he got suspended one game. Whereas Jordan Eberle faced no disciplinary action at all. So, I mean, it is one player, but Jordan Eberle did score some key key goals in this series. But I... Yeah, I'm interested to hear about that. I think it's just more... I just wish the NHL was more consistent in terms of these things. But I would say that I do not believe that it was rigged. I think there were just so many factors. Like, the Avs had so many injuries. They didn't even have, really, a second-line center. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Kraken, like we mentioned in our playoff predictions and playoff um, recaps... They don't really have a superstar, but they have such solid second, third line players. Like their entire team is all good second and third liners. That that's kind of the performances that you need from in like in the NHL playoffs. Like a lot of times your superstars get shut down, and it's those second and third liners, like in the Panthers games, that really show up to play. So I am stunned, but I believe we need to give the Kraken more credit. All right, so the homework has been done, and that the Stanley Cup odds for the Seattle Kraken entering the playoffs, they were the 16th ranked team. <laughs> no way. In order to get, you had 20 to one odds on that. Wow. If they were to win, now I believe it's down to 13 to one odds on them still winning. So still really solid odds. Of course, yeah. Not condoning gambling on this show right, right. now, but we're just saying if wink, wink, not not, <laughs> you want to make some money. Yeah. And they are, yeah, they are set to match up against the Dallas Stars for the second round. And the Stars just beat the Wild in six games, which we had talked about was going to be a brutal series, and it really was. Um, But what are your thoughts on the second round matchup of Stars versus Kraken, Dylan? Well, can I also defend, because I know everyone's basically attacking Jordan Eberle for the hit that he had this past series. Um, I am attacking him for that. Maybe it's just the Islander bias in me and that I don't want him to like everyone to hate him because I still love him and I know I think he's a great person but still expansion draft the hit when looking at the replay and we can pull it up here and look at it I don't think he's going into this thinking I want to snap his neck I think this is your stereotypical hockey hit a guy has the puck let's smash him into the boards and it just so happens that it ends up that his neck is down and he goes in like that I think this is a plain normal hit He's high, though. Look how high his arms are. That's, like, above, almost above the shoulders. It's not really. Look at it's, where his arm goes. Look at us You're diving spo- into the I know. We're right really now. doing some analysis right here. You're supposed to do, like, like your number. Like, you can't that even. That is number. It's just that he's on a weird angle that he gets upper right shoulder. I don't know. If we look at Kale McCars from game four, I think it was not as bad of a hit. And to be honest, you have to kind of – take into what like injuries that happen like to decide some things for example whenever a penalty is called when there's blood on the ice sometimes mm-hmm. it could just be a simple high stick but if the player is bleeding that could automatically turn into five minutes so i would say the result i mean that it everyone you can go and look up jordan Everly's hit it doesn't look good it he it looks like andrew cogliano's Head is it, yeah, getting it, it smashed. Looks bad. It's bad. Like, like and he, he got a neck fracture. But, Dylan, I know, there's no way I'm you could talk your way out of this. I'm just saying that. Well, maybe at, player safety agrees with you, clearly. But I'm just saying, if you obviously the hit is bad, but it's nothing that doesn't usually happen. If all of a sudden he's standing straight up and that happens, he just goes hard into a board. This call is not, we're not even talking about that hit. It's just the matter that he leaned over at the very last second, and in hockey, he was already leaned over. He doesn't even have possession of the puck. (sighs) He does have possession. He does have the puck at the moment that Everly's coming in. Okay, he does, but it's still high. Everly still catches him high. You're not allowed to go like a hit up, like shoulder forearm up to your head. It's it's tough because I don't know yeah. what he's supposed to do because we're also watching in a slow motion angle yeah. and he's already charging hard at him. Like that's, yeah. It's not like a sport that you're not on ice where you can just stop. You're kinda. supposed to lower your shoulder. That, he catches him much higher. 
But, you know, my thing is I just wanted a one-game suspension because that was similar to Kale McCarr's hit on Jared McCann. It didn't happen. I don't know what NHL player safety is doing. NHL just made the claim that apparently hockey doesn't have any connections to CTE, which... (laughs) False. (laughs) False. That's completely false. And for those of you that don't know what CTE stands for, it's chronic traumatic... Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to. Although I think this. the NFL is still blaming, thinking Enc- that they don't either. Encephalopathy. But basically, it's a progressive and fatal brain disease associated with repeated traumatic brain injuries, including yeah. like concussions and mm-hmm. blows to the head, which clearly is, clearly there's connection between NFL and NHL. Um, but yeah, your thoughts on the Stars and Kraken matchup? Well, I assume you're going Stars. Yeah, I'm going to pick the Stars in six. All right, then I'll go the Kraken in. Stars of home field advantage, right? Yeah. Oh, nice. my. Yes. Every oh, my. Shoot. I'm just so... All right. Kraken in six. They're going to win in Seattle because here they won on the road, so they're finally going to get a playoff series victory at home. Kraken in six over okay. the Stars. Great. And we also wanted to talk about the Canes beating the Islanders. No, we didn't. In game six. Dylan was actually there in person at UBS Arena Tell us about how the game atmosphere was. Tell us about how it felt to lose. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, next topic. No. <laughs> the Islanders, I'll first, before we, I say that it's going to be a really interesting offseason, I think it's yeah. a tough road and tough pill to swallow, especially at home. This was. A, I don't think going into the series, I wasn't all that confident. I tried to put off that I was. But I think this is a really good Hurricanes team. And the Islanders just weren't ready for it. I know there was the hope that maybe, who knows, Matt Barzell's coming back from injury. He's going to be good as ever. He clearly wasn't. He was still a very solid player, but by no means was he ready to be a number two on a team. Our big star, Bo Horvat, was nowhere to be found throughout (laughs) the entire series. And while you could argue, okay, then that's not on the GM, Lou Lamarillo, because if your big stars don't show up, how's that on the GM? I do think it's time for a change. I don't know whether it's the head coach or it's the GM, but it's been the same team now for basically five to six years. It hasn't worked the last couple of years. It's time for a change. The problem is not that much cap space. I think we're around $6 million to play with, a couple unrestricted free agents, and I don't know where the Islanders go from here, but I think that's a conversation for another day. It's more about losing yeah. game six. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of, it was like a funeral. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> no. like the, we're watching no. the death of the New York Islanders. And wow. you knew from the start that it was going to be rough. Um, Whoa, hold on. We were up in the <laughs> Dylan game. Dylan was convinced that if Islanders beat Canes in Game 5, five which they we're did, they the were going to win. Yes. And it did not. Because I said there's no chance we lose at home. And then I forgot that we're now at UBS and not at the barn, so it's not really home. <laughs> yeah, so close. Um, and as a result, the Hurricanes and Six are moving on and looking really strong in whoever they play, the Rangers or the Devils, which you'll know by the time this comes out. But technically when we're recording, we don't know. But Hurricanes and Six, tough defeat. Usually this would be now when I tune out of NHL and my full attention is towards Major League Baseball for the rest of the season. But... I will stick it out. I will con- literally, no pun intended, stick hockey stick. <laughs> you have to see if your if your predictions are actually come to fruition. And this is now, unfortunately, the Nets have been eliminated in basketball. The Islanders have now been eliminated in hockey. So my three New York championships in the next twelve months is looking kind of bleak right now. But we shall see what happens. I know you're celebrating after this series, so give yeah. some positivity to what happened this weekend. I mean, here's the thing. You were mentioning star players not showing up. Canes have Sebastian Ajo, and he really did show up. But the Islanders, to be honest, got beat by a lot of AHL call-ups. And a lot of fourth-line work by the Hurricanes and a lot of just net front presence and a lot of pressure that causes Islanders to make mistakes. They got key goals from Stefan Nason, who... Played in the AHL last year. Thanks. <laughs> they got they got playoff goals from Max McEachern, who is currently an AHL player. Thanks. And had to get called up because of injuries to the Canes' usual lineups. And got goals from Paul Stasny, who is a an aging player and just recently got signed as an unrestricted free agent this past offseason from the Winnipeg Jets. 
Um, and we also saw some really good performances from Brentburn. But most of the goals, I would say, were from Jesper Faust and those AHL players that I mentioned. So, again, I talked about this last episode. It just speaks to the Canes' deep farm system, speaks to the mentality of next player up and always striving for the next goal, always striving for wins no matter the setbacks. And looking towards our Canes matchup, I know Dylan was talking about how he wants a New York championship. Well, Canes are going to play either the winner of the Rangers and Devils. So clearly Dylan wants Rangers to win in game seven. I said I picked Devils in seven. So I hope it's Devils. That would be very fun. And I hope the Canes win. I also think, because I'm going to rectify my statement, that I said Friday night was like a funeral. The way you're making this, Friday night was like the wake, and this right here is the funeral. <laughs> that you're just rubbing salt in the wound of, oh, we called up this random guy, and he scored a yeah. goal of you, and a guy in the minors, and he got a... <laughs> uh, yeah, I minor can't leader wait. or Bo Horvat. I can't wait for the Astros-Mets World Series in wow. five months. But unfortunately, we won't make it there. So. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and then our last matchup is going to be Vegas versus Oilers. Vegas beating the Winnipeg Jets solidly in five games. Oilers beating the Kings in six games. Rick Bonus, we don't need to dive into this very much, but he had some very interesting choice words for the Winnipeg Jets after their game five loss. Jets were not at all happy. There were key guys like Blake Wheeler, Adam Lowry, who went and said to the media, we wish Rick had come to talk to us. They were said, he had said this was the same like disaster and lack of motivation that we had seen with the team since February. And a lot of players did not feel that that was an accurate portrayal of um, the series. However, we have Vegas moving on, beating Winnipeg solidly. They do have, they have had quite a bit of rest. Um, And then Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers, who the Oilers have gotten a lot of scoring from their depth. With Klim Kostinen, who I don't even know who that is, scoring a lot of key goals and Connor McDavid finally scoring in Game Six. But your thoughts on Vegas versus Oilers? I know I think we all can can tell who Dylan is going to pick. And Rick Bonus has also said in a press conference since then that saying the word disgusted was probably too strong of a word to use. He's apologized for that, and in return, the Jets have announced he will indeed be coming back to coach next upcoming season. So it seems like no changes will be there made there. And I think that's probably a smart decision because it was a nice, solid make the playoffs and one bad comment in a press conference probably doesn't deserve getting fired or moving on or anything like that. I will continue. I've been strong on Vegas for the past two weeks. I'm going to stick with that. I think Vegas wins here. They're going to make it all the way. They're going to face off against the Rangers inevitably in the finals. And then I'll have to make up my mind between those two teams there. But there's also a decent chance that we're recording a week from now and both teams are eliminated by then. But... We shall I see. think he took Rangers to win the Stanley Cup. Oh, well, I have to because of the New York thing. Yeah. So I'll say Vegas, though, is going to win this series against the Oilers, but I am getting nervous. Connor McDavid's getting really hot all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm going to pick Oilers in six. Vegas in seven. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and last but not least, our quick hockey wrap-up. Calgary Flames have fired Daryl Sutter, even though the team gave him a contract extension at the beginning of this past se- of this season, which would kick in next season. So the team still owes him his two-year contract extension worth $4 million per year, and it begins in the 2023-2024 season. So interesting news right there. We're not going to dive into that because we have NBA playoffs to quickly discuss. Dylan, if you want to tell us what the NBA playoff picture has been looking like recently in the past few days. Well, the NBA playoffs, unlike the NHL playoffs where we mentioned earlier that it shows that the unpredictability of the playoffs shows that the NBA, that the NHL playoffs mean absolutely nothing. The predictability of the NBA regular season continues in the NBA playoffs, and a lot of the teams that are projected to win end up winning at least in the first round. We'll see how that goes going forward. We've got the Nuggets versus the Suns coming up. Expected. We've got the marquee player matchup of the Warriors versus the Lakers coming up. We've got the Heat versus the Knicks, which unfortunately, as a New Yorker, I don't think this is going to go well for the Knicks at all, but we shall see what happens. And then we've also got the Sixers versus the Celtics coming up. 
don't like the city of Philadelphia, so go Boston. Although I, I think most people hate the city of Boston just as much, so we'll see what happens there. The Warriors did defeat the Kings in Game 7. I know you're a huge Kings fan, so anything you want to add on that front? Yeah, very sad about it. But lots to be proud of for the Sacramento Kings. Like we were saying, I think it was the first playoff win in, what, 17 years. But it's Steph Curry. I mean, Kings take the defending champs to seven games, but Steph Curry dominated with 50 points in Game 7, which is apparently the most points in a Game 7 in NBA history, which talks about the experience and the playoff mentality that the Warriors know and are very, very familiar with. I would like to say that, surprisingly, Heat beat the Bucks in five games, which yeah. I believe Heat were um, the eighth seed and Bucks were number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were mentioning you don't feel good about Heat versus Knicks, but you know that I have Knicks and <laughs> Nuggets making it to the finals, so I'm obviously going to have to take the Knicks there. I'm going to take Warriors over the Lakers. Nuggets, obviously, versus the Suns. Nuggets have already won game one. Um, And then I'm going to go Celtics over the Sixers, even though I don't want to root for the Sixers. I will go Nuggets over the Suns because anyone but Kevin Durant should win. I will go (laughs) Warriors over the Lakers because anyone but LeBron should win. I'll go... I don't want to say it, but Heat's over Knicks. Wow. Or heat over Knicks and then Celtics over the 76ers because I don't like Boston. Um, I will also say, I know everyone was talking about the post-Bucks loss uh, conference video where Jonas talks about, is it an unsuccessful, successful season? That's definitely drawing some media attention where he's saying that there's no such thing as an unsuccessful season. It's always a step in the direction towards positivity, I'm pretty sure is how he phrased it, which is an interesting way of looking at things. Because on one point, I get it, that you're not going to win the championship every single year. But when you are the one seed and you get knocked out (laughs) in round one, I don't, I think it's also, it's a tough question. It's a question as a reporter and journalist, you have to ask, so what are you feeling? But it's the type of question, what is he supposed to say? (laughs) Yeah, like what's he supposed to, like, I guess he could have gone the route of, yeah, it's a failure, but we'll be back next year. Instead, he took the route of, it's not a failure. We made the playoffs, and we're moving in the right direction, and he compared himself to Jordan. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. I actually really support Giannis and his quotes because, first of all, the reporter, Eric Nem, from The Athletic, had asked Giannis this exact same question at the end of last season when he says, do you view this season as a failure? Second of all, I think we have to remember players have lives outside of their sport. Mm -hmm. He was mentioning, for example, he directly asked the reporter, if you don't get a promotion, do you still, uh, is that a failure to you? Is working that job a failure? No, because you're providing for your family. You're providing, like, you're getting personal goals. And I think that's so fair. And Giannis specifically said, he goes, um... It's, there's no failure in sports. There's good days, bad days. Some days you're able to be successful. Some days you are not. Some days it is your turn. Some days it's not. That's what sports is about. You don't always win, which is so true. You don't always win. But it's not saying that he doesn't have that championship or or that mentality of always wanting to improve. But I think to just completely say everything of, about the season is a failure is definitely, I think it's the journalist's job to reach for quotable quotes because can you imagine that on the front line Giannis saying this season was a failure Mm -hmm. but I don't think that was the right question and I I understand and actually support Giannis's um response and to be fair I think a lot of social media is applauding him for it maybe this is me continuing to be anti-player yeah Dylan is anti-player when you're making 42 million dollars a year I don't think you should compare yourself to a journalist who's making 40 thousand dollars a year Here's the thing though. He's making the he has the like the resume to be making that. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. He can't just because one year yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, so we expect more out of him. Right. Which means but it's that a doesn't failure mean it's a when fa- he doesn't it reach doesn't it. It doesn't go 0 to 100. It's not you win or it's everything is a failure. Maybe it seems like a zero sum game and all. But think about like for example, all the revenue that they got from, you know, having the you know, 
<laughs> number one seed in the NBA. Just like I would say, the Boston Bruins, that wasn't a failure of a season, even though it was arguably the biggest upset in you know NHL history. But I wouldn't say their season was a failure. I mean, there was still a lot, a lot to be learned, a lot, a lot to be um, gained, and a lot of positives to take. And they already have a championship, which, you know, a lot of teams cannot say. Um, Former, (laughs) hey, wow, ouch. Former New York Yankees owner, who is the epitome of winning culture, George Steinbrenner, said, if I'm not hanging a banner at the end of the season, the season was a complete and utter failure. Yeah, but that is Coming from the man who won the most championships in the history of sports with 20. Right, but I don't know. I see Giannis's side, and I would say he offers a nice, healthy perspective of what a well-rounded athlete's life should be, and that we can't all just hyper-fixate ourselves on one game, on a seven or a series game in this case, five five game series. And there's always next year. I know that's that's not the mentality that. It's the mentality oh, Mets fans have had for a while. Yeah, that might be why it's time to change the mentality. <laughs> but moving on, finally, to the NFL. We finally hear that Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the Jets. Didn't think it was going to get done at this point. And to be honest, I was like, for what the Jets and Packers got, it really took them a long time to figure it out. Well, Jets get Aaron Rodgers, the number 15 pick, and the number... 170th pick. Packers get the number 13th pick, the number 42nd pick, the number 207th pick, and then a conditional 2024 second round pick that becomes a first round pick if Rodgers plays 65% of the Jets plays. It's an interesting trade in that it seems like both sides in the end got what they wanted. Yeah, why did it take them so long? (laughs) If I had to guess, it's probably the conditions as to how that 2024 pick becomes a first-round pick. Because I think the key with both sides wanted more, and I think at the end of the day, the Packers got more than what they thought they could have gotten. And that the Jets really wanted Aaron Rodgers. And the question is, who has leverage in this situation? It dragged on for almost two months after Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show, my intention is to play for the Jets. When that happened, it was like, oh, shoot, this trade has to happen. Now, there were rumblings last week that the 49ers had kicked the tires, that the Dolphins had kicked the tires, the Titans had come in and made a phone call. But it seemed like it was always Rodgers wants to be a Jet. He's going to be a Jet. Let's just work out the compensation. And we need to also figure out, It sort of had to happen before the draft, which we'll get into in a second. And at the end of the day, the Jets, I'm not going to say caved, but they did give up a lot. You think this is a lot? I do, because the the whole point of this conditional pick usually is to ensure that if most most conditional picks of this magnitude are if the Jets make the playoffs. If Aaron Rodgers starts a playoff game, this could, like Rodgers could be awful for them this year. And they still have to give up a first-round pick. Because this is just about playing 65% of the games. And you could argue that if the Jets are 2-7, and seven, they're going to bench Rodgers. A, Rodgers won't let that happen. And B, you're yeah. going to start Zach Wilson <laughs> in a game and expect better results. So I think, barring a catastrophic injury to Aaron Rodgers, the Jets ended up giving up a first-round draft pick. And this could turn into a situation like Brett Favre 15 years ago, where history repeats itself. The Green Bay Packers quarterback for 15 years, disgruntled, leaves, goes to the Jets for a year. It's a disaster. He then gets traded again by the Jets, but the Jets already gave up a haul for him. So now the Jets are in like a tough situation. With that being said, I love the move for the Jets. <laughs> I think this had I don't to think get they done. Really gave up that much, I to be honest. I do, because the pick swap, 13 to 15, not a huge deal. It, I think the equivalency is like a fourth-round pick is what some calculator somehow creates the value of the difference of trading back two picks is that. I don't like that they gave up the first-round pick so easily. I'd rather – I'd yeah. love the deal for the Jets if the contingency was that Rodgers starts a playoff game. Because what if next year the Jets go 4-14 four and 14 and they have, in that case, like the number three overall pick in the draft – but, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers played 70% of the snaps, so that third overall pick goes to Green Bay next year. Yeah, that is fair. I mean, they I think they were prepared to give 
uh, that first round pick, and they kind of honestly it was going to be the first rounder. They just kind of wanted it to be conditional second rounder to make it look better. But mm-hmm. to be honest, I think that's a fair haul for the Jets. I think other teams have paid way more <laughs> for other things, which we'll talk about later in the NFL draft. But finally have happy that the dance partners of Aaron Rodgers and the Jets finally got together. I'm like, it just needed to happen. It, rumors have been rumbling forever and ever, and I was tired of hearing about the story. And he's becoming I, the king of New York, too. I don't know if you saw that. He was at MSG for Game 6. I saw six. this. I he saw this. He was the next night at MSG for Game 1 between the Knicks and the Heat. Yeah. So, or no. Who, yeah, Knicks and Heat. But yeah. Knicks lost. Uh-huh. But he's, he's already becoming the face of New York. And yeah. It's interesting to see who the, I know one topic that I was discussing with a couple of people is who is the king of New York, whether it's Aaron Judge, is it Aaron Rodgers, is it Patrick Kane? No, is kidding. it Patrick Kane? Like, it's an interesting situation that Aaron Rodgers is now one of the biggest yeah. figures in sports going to New York and acting like it so far. Yeah, but I will say another big figure in the NFL, Lamar Jackson, recently signed an extension with the Ravens. Didn't think he was going to get done, but the contract extension was worth $260 million total with 52 AAV and $185 million guaranteed. So this contract makes him the highest paid player in the NFL, and he has the third highest in guaranteed money. Thoughts? It's a lot. It's a lot of money, both guaranteed and total. I expected total. This. I do because it was the scenario of what are they gonna do? Are they gonna like hold out? Is he not gonna play? Is he gonna sign the one year and then be out of here? Like it just seemed like a messy situation. At the end of the day, it's a scenario where he's been their franchise quarterback. They wanted him back. He wanted to be back. They signed OBJ a week ago, and now it's just like all right, bring him back. Ton of money. We'll figure out the cap down the line, but we got our guy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I mean it would have been. Um, like just completely unimaginable for the Ravens to let Jackson, such a top-tier talent, like a generational talent, walk so easily. So I'm glad they got it done. We were recently just reporting on Jalen Hurts becoming the highest-paid player, and look at it now. Lamar Jackson making $1 million more per year than Jalen Hurts. Um, but it's to be honest... a lot honest, of money I, for a running back. Yeah, but he, I, you could say that he is more proven in terms of um, like winning MVP. Well, True. I mean, Jalen Hurts has now, but you know. <laughs> but also, Dylan teased the NFL draft, and I was just talking about. Well, Dylan was just talking about Jets giving a lot for Aaron Rodgers. If we want to talk about giving up a lot, the Houston Texans paid such a heavy price to move from number 12th overall pick to get the number third overall pick in the draft this past week. And they gave. So the 12th and 33rd in this draft and a first and a third in 2024 in exchange for the third and the 105 picks from the Arizona Cardinals. And this is a very rare occurrence because they're just the third team in the common draft era to make two picks in the top three. And they ended up drafting Alabama linebacker Will Anderson Jr., who has who teams have been very high on and has one top defensive player in college football for two years in a row. But that is a heavy, heavy price for the Texans today. They just gave up. Like, so, like, what if they're, they're probably going to be bad next, like, in 2024. So I don't understand why we're giving up a first when it's, when it's probably going to be top 10. You're going to hate me for saying this. I don't think this is a lot. Really? I think when you're picking number two in the draft, you're going to fall in love with a couple guys. And that obviously happened here in this scenario where they had the route of, do we draft a quarterback? Or do we get a skills positional type player? And at the end of the day, they figured, get them both. The problem with this, and you're saying you're giving up a first, which is a lot, but you're getting a proven guy that you know right now, they've definitely heavily scouted Will Anderson Jr. this year. So they probably just figured, get the guy we want right now, rather than, and they're going to be great players in the draft bill next year. It happens every single year. But get the guy that we've scouted, we know, we want, we love, this year and who cares about next year because now we have our quarterback of the future our linebacker of the future they're building up a solid team in houston it's definitely a work in progress i would not call them a playoff (laughs) team by any means at this point just yet but i think it's a scenario where you sort of 
if you really fell in love with him like they're claiming they would and they did i think it's worth trading the unknown commodity of next year for the proven commodity of the guy we know and want right now it's a risk because who knows if they because they suck next year. Yeah, they probably are. And that first is going to be, like, a top five. And I'm like, you literally could have just taken that first to draft, a, like, a just as good of a player. Maybe you would fall in love with another player. I just don't understand. Like, it makes so much sense from the Cardinals' perspective. Here's what happened. They, had, they got the 12th overall pick from Houston. Then they traded back up to number six for Paris Johnson Jr., likely the player that they wanted all along, and got a 2024 first-round pick without having to literally give up anything. So they got their player that they wanted at number six and a 2024 first-round pick, all for moving down three spots. Yeah, it's a lot. It gives Houston Texans fans a reason for hope for the first time in a while. but it's like blowing up our future. (laughs) When we don't even have a future right now. I mean, I guess we do have some players, and it's easy to just, you know, blow your draft picks out to the sun. But still tough when I feel like they paid a hefty price. And I know we do have to run quickly because we've been recording for a while, but do you want to give us a little F1 update in 60 seconds before we go? Yes, so we just had the Azerbaijan Grand Prix where Sergio Perez actually won, which... Neither of us predicted. I had Max Verstappen winning. He comes in second. And Perez was able to win after a safety car made Max Verstappen lose the lead. But to be honest, Perez had some skilled driving. He was able to hold on to that lead after that safety car. Some good news for Ferrari fans is that they are looking better. Charles Leclerc won pole on Saturday. And then even though he wasn't able to capitalize to get first, he got his first podium of the season. Carlos Sainz getting fifth. And Fernando Alonso keeping up with the very consistent performances. He didn't get on the podium this time, but he gets fourth, which I know doesn't really align with Dylan's prediction that post-breakup Fernando Alonso was going to win. But um, definitely... Definitely some positives from Aston Martin there. And then also some other teams to look out for are Alpha Terry. They, well, not specifically Alpha Terry, but Yuki Sonoda has been putting out some very, very consistent performances, even though the Alpha Terry car has been probably the slowest car in the entire grid. And he was able to get points at 10th this past race, and he's been at 10th and 11th the entire season. So there's some positives there. Um, So excited for the next race, which is going to be next week, May 7th at Miami, which means Dylan is going to be so familiar with F1 by that time that he's going to have time to do some F1 analysis for our Mm -hmm. next episode. Of course, it is finally back in the U.S., which was the goal that we set upon. Of course, I did not realize that the week leading up would be the week of finals, but I will make it work and I will learn what F1 means by <laughs> the end of this week, whatever that means. Not even all the rules, just, you know, you would watch a race and kind of know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or they, just they be able to interpret exactly. They... Well, it's not really a circle. That's NASCAR. In the Cars movie, they go around in a circle. There's Cars not. <laughs> all right. Anyways. Moving on. <laughs> well, that was the end of episode seven. Thank you all for tuning in. We really enjoyed talking about all things playoffs today. Dylan, why don't you close close us out? That is all we have today. Of course, the Mets are about to lose a baseball game that I've been watching the entire time we've been recording. Of course, it was 9-6. to six. It's now 9-8 thanks to a two-run homer in the bottom <laughs> of the ninth inning with two outs. So who knows what happens there. But for Dylan and Caroline on this early Tuesday edition of Turf and Burn, the turf is officially burned.